0: Cheers, George. Cheers, Tom. Tom, what are we drinking?
1: Tequila. We need something a lot stronger for this episode, I think. Oh, God. What are we talking about? (sighs) Fuck it. Let's talk about demolition.
0: Hey, Tom. Hey, George. Want to hear some shit? <laughs> Bring it on. One-on-one. <laughs> oh, Ooh. no. All right, All right, listeners, we've reached that point, and we are going to cover every Priest song at some point if we have a run that long. Mm. So here it is. It's time to talk about Judas Priest without Rob Halford. And if you aren't super familiar with the band, you might have just gotten your mind blown. But there were two Judas Priest albums in the 1990s Hmm. and early 2000s. Like
1: two entire ass albums.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Long albums, for that matter, Hmm. with another guy named Tim Owens, nicknamed The Ripper, And if you have not heard these two albums, well, consider yourself lucky. (laughs) So,
1: this is in the era directly after Painkiller, when Rob left to focus on his other musical endeavors, which were a solo project, and I think...
0: A few different solo projects. Okay, one of
1: them was Fight, right?
0: Fight, two and then Halford, and not all of them were as successful. Obviously nothing as successful as Priest. Mm. A couple of those solo albums, pretty damn good. Some of them, not so much. But that's what Rob was doing from the early 90s to the early 2000s. And meanwhile, what was Priest doing? Bullshit. Some <laughs> friggin' wind Biscuit shit. Uh,
1: well, you know, you also have to consider the wasteland that was the metal scene from roughly 1995 up until about 2004, give sure. or
0: Sure. And w- listen, in the extreme metal scene, you might have had some really good doom death black metal albums Mm -hmm. but even by the early 2000s that creative well was drying up and you were left with a pretty uninteresting time in metal history it was really sort of a lull it was like
1: kind of like a a wasteland almost because you gotta understand if you weren't there it doesn't make any sense but at the time this is the way it was the scene had been absolutely dominated by the new metal bands of the 90s there was limp biscuit and corn and dope and mudvayne and, and coal chamber <laughs> Which my fiance actually loves Cold Chamber. So no judgment. None whatsoever. You like what you like. Yeah. So the, the thing is, is that these were the bands that were suffocating the scene. And there was a big vacuum during that time. And bands were trying to catch on. And it was a time where there was a lot of trend chasing, you know, Kind of famously, solos were considered out of vogue because, I don't know, that was too flashy or some bullshit reason. The real reason was because the new metal bands weren't doing it. so They probably didn't know how to play a (laughs) guitar solo. I will. Here's the thing. I will contend to the end of time that Wes Borland, who was the guitar player for Linton Biscuit, (laughs) is an immense talent and the best guitar player of that era i'll go into that some other time but that dude is a phenomenal guitar player and, i've heard uh, that yeah just so weird the techniques and um technology and instrumentation that he incorporated into his playing but that's neither here nor there yeah. we're going to it- talk about demolition yes
0: And if you like new metal, then I'm sorry, we're going to not try to shit on it too much. But this context is kind of important because you have to know what was popular in the metal scene and hard rock scene at the time that Demolition was being written and recorded. Because that seeped in to Judas Priest. And you talked about trend chasing. And I wouldn't really call Priest trend chasers. But... They have always tried to sort of modernize their sound and keep up with the younger bands and try new things, and that's why Painkiller had thrash elements, and that worked. So Demolition took cues from what was popular in rock and metal at the time it came out in 01, and that's Mm -hmm. why you have... Scratching and feedback and faux rapping on Demolition.
1: Yeah, and just some of the worst lyrics I've ever heard in my life.
0: It's a real far cry from Rob Halford sitting in the recording studio with rhyming dictionaries and thesauruses in his lap.
1: Yeah, well, that's because... Tim Owens farted
0: these lyrics out. <laughs> yeah, but well, hey, I don't, I don't think he deserves any of the blame. He wasn't even allowed to write songs. <laughs> we'll, we'll call out Glenn Tipton for his crappy lyrics on this one. <laughs>
1: this is the reason that Rob wrote the lyrics and all the other <laughs> Glenn, stay with the guitar, buddy. Just stay in your lane. So I will say it was an interesting point that you brought up is that Yeah, they aren't trend chasers, but to one extent or another, every band is influenced in one way or another by what is going on in the scene at the time. That's not trend chasing. There's a difference between deriving influence and straight up going after something because, hey, that's what everyone else is doing. And as not good as Demolition is... They really were kind of feeding off of the scene at the time. You know, bands got to stay relevant. And this was just what the scene was at the time. You have to understand it's not a reflection necessarily of Priest, but more so what metal was going through in this era.
0: That's right. Well, I think it's about time, Tom, that we get into this song and break it down dude can you play that
1: opening riff for me just the very few seconds of this song because it's something that i really wanted to talk
0: about let's start with the very beginning with that i don't know what they were going for (laughs) it's noise we'll call it noise at the beginning love it That's some classic Judas Priest right there, isn't it? Yeah,
1: man. Doesn't that just remind you of British Steel so much? And here's that riff you wanted me to play. The very intro of that song is an octave chord played over what sounds like a line 6 amp on insane setting with the gain turned all the way up if you're not a guitar file (laughs) then what, what
0: does that mean Tom
1: so what that means is essentially that the notes don't have any definition to them whatsoever because the amp is going through such a feedback cycle that it gets completely distorted so it's weird to hear that from a band that is known for their guitar tone. It sounds very digital and fake. And it's it's harsh on the ears in a way that's not good. You know, not harsh in the way that you usually prefer for metal. Harsh in the way, ow, stop, I don't like
0: this. <laughs> no, please don't. So I have all these clips chopped up from the song of the different parts They're all labeled verse one, chorus one, so on. I labeled this section, WTF is this. (laughs) Let's hear it.
1: See, there's just so much overdrive on that lead guitar for some reason, and I don't know what decision it was to make that there's just their sound just it's very digital and it doesn't sound authentic to their previous efforts you ever listen to their live performances on the british steel tour they've got some legendary tone coming out of those amps
0: yes they do
1: this is just fucking awful
0: yeah it gets worse because after that part Here's what you get. Tone? Dude, it sounds like it's coming from the speakers of a 30-year-old cell phone.
1: Yeah, well, this is the point I was getting to, is that, so there's a stereotype in, specifically in metal guitar playing, of a 13-year-old guitar player discovering drop-detuning, and drop-tuning his BC Rich Warlock, running it through a Line 6 amp, and turning it up to insane... And then running that through a line through a metal zone
0: pedal. Tom, that and, sounds like us hanging out in your basement and not crazy. Well yeah, because
1: that was me. So
0: <laughs>
1: I know from experience. So <laughs> asshole. <laughs> so, so so I know what I'm talking about when I say that there's way too much gain on those guitars. Uh and this I, production quality
0: is laughable.
1: Yeah. Um, and the riff itself is very uninspired. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard that riff at some of my practice sessions when I was a teenager. So someone came up with that on their own without hearing this album.
0: So, Tom, coming off the Nostradamus album, mm-hmm. and we talked about how it was the band's own exclusive creative vision because the producers were the band themselves, mm-hmm. Tipton and Downing. The producer on Demolition, guess what? Glenn Tipton produced this. you
1: fucking kidding me?
0: If only they had anyone else to get in there and explain to the band, no. No. Please try something else for the love of God.
1: <laughs> Guys, whatever you're doing, don't do this. Anything but this. This is actually something that I wanted to bring up in our Nostradamus episode is that that album might have benefited from having someone from the progressive metal scene come in and almost guide, I don't want to use the term guide them because fucking God knows that Judas Priest doesn't need guidance, but maybe someone to like help them steer their creative vision.
0: The best bands in history have had producers. Yeah. All of Priest's classic albums were produced by Tom Allom, and Firepower was co-produced by Tom Allom as an aside, so having a good producer in your field can be of enormous benefit to you. Yeah. This is a good
1: example of what happens when you don't have that producer by your side,
0: someone to tell you that an idea doesn't exactly work or if you just tried playing the song a little differently you could make it better
1: yeah um this is what george lucas needed with his movies he needed a second director no i'm kidding so no you're not (laughs) no
0: i'm not (laughs) that's just what everyone uh, Mm -hmm. that's just objective fact
1: (laughs) (laughs) i had to throw that in there i'm so sorry to our listeners See, here's the thing about Demolition is that it is still interesting to listen to in the sense that it's perversely fascinating. It's got that sort of sane
0: anger quality to it,
1: doesn't it? Where all of the creative decision making is kind of jarring to think about. You're like, why would you do this? What compelled you to come up with this idea in the first place and then execute it? And then to say, oh, that's tight, yo. Dude, drop it. Really. This album. Perfect.
0: I'll tell you exactly why that happened. Because here's the thing. The aim of this album was to offer something for every fan. Oh. and when you try to make something that pleases everyone, you almost always make something that pleases no one. So this
1: is something that I've been wanting to talk about actually. This is what I call the sacrificial lamb album where you you go for mass appeal in order to draw in more fans and you almost alienate your core audience for a little bit And then you come back with a killer album so that not only is your core audience thrilled, the people that you brought in from the Sacrificial Lamb album are also blown away.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an interesting perspective that Mm -hmm. I didn't hear before, but it kind of applies, doesn't it? Because after Demolition, the band would go on to reunite with Rob Halford. Yep. And you sacrifice a little in the
1: short term to gain in the long term. Mm-hmm. This, mm, I don't know if it necessarily applies here because Priest is a huge band, but I can think of a, of at least one band that pulled this tactic off stunningly, which was Behemoth. You know, with their, uh, with their album Conquer All, that album alienated a lot of their original fans. Then they came back with Apostasy, And then after that was The Satanist, which is like one of the best albums of all time. So you have that one album where you might
0: piss off a few of your fans, but you can win them
1: back with your next effort if you play your cards right.
0: The Sacrificial Lamb album, that's an interesting concept. I'll have to go back and really look at a couple of my favorite bands and see if they did that. I could probably right off the bat tell you, Iron Maiden's virtual Eleven with Blaze Bailey might have been a sacrificial lamb.
1: <laughs> I don't know much about it. You're going to have to well, tell me about that it,
0: sometime. Well, it doesn't have Bruce Dickinson. Ew. Maiden and Priest followed a pretty similar trajectory in the 90s. They both departed from their popular lead vocalist, made a couple albums that weren't super well received and then they got their lead singer back and it was meant to be.
1: Yeah, they knocked it out of the park after that.
0: Mm -hmm. So, continuing to break down one-on-one, how's the chorus in that song? Terrible. Does it make up for what you heard before? No. Hey listeners, you be the judge. Take a listen to this. And as we're hearing that, Tom is about to pour a little more of that tequila. And honestly, I welcome it at this point. Do you need another shot? I think we both
1: do. Okay, great. Here we go. That chorus makes me roll my eyes just all the way to the back of my head.
0: Tom, it's like Halford says in that clip we play every song. Takes another drink or two. And this episode definitely (laughs) takes two.
1: Cheers. That's my third shot, so... There you go. Oh, my God. The so guitar
0: y- parts in that chorus don't differentiate themselves from the guitars and the verses. Mm-hmm. It sounds way too much alike, and that's why one-on-one gets so dull and repetitive so quickly, and the chorus doesn't bring in that extra boost of energy that a chorus should. It doesn't save the song.
1: Yeah, if anything, you know... It continues the monotony of it. It does. And you just, you're absolutely right when you say that the chorus is supposed to really amp up. It's supposed to take the song up to another level and take the audience with it. And this just doesn't do it. Do you know what this song is? What? This is a worse version of Blacklist by Exodus. (laughs) (laughs) Think about it, like, it's almost got the same structure musically and almost the same theme except lamer.
0: It's the mid-tempo stomp of the pacing and it's the don't mess with me sort of lyrical vibe. Yeah. But it's not good, unfortunately. No,
1: and fucking poor Tim Owens is just doomed to be a top-tier vocalist perpetually stuck in like mid to low tier albums. That dude is cursed, man. I don't know what it is with him. Whether he chooses it or it just happens by chance.
0: Well I'm sure that he's just drawing his tears on dollar bills from James right. Royalties. Oh no,
1: some asshole on the internet said I suck. <laughs> <laughs> hey
0: I you won't ever hear me say Tim Owens sucks. No, this, he doesn't. This right. album, this album might suck, but he's probably the best part of it. Well,
1: here's the thing about Tim Owens is that you hear him live on their older work, and he's killing it. That dude, he's a great vocalist, and that's what very I'm, good. That's what I'm saying. As a vocalist, he's phenomenal. I don't know that I've heard him play on an album that is really stunning. My first exposure to him was through Iced Earth. Yep. Um, what the hell was that album? Framing Armageddon that he played on?
0: Uh, he had two. There oh. was that and Glorious Burden. That was the American Civil War concept album. Gotcha. And that one was very good. Framing Armageddon, that one was pretty boring, I think.
1: I've heard Framing Armageddon. I haven't heard Glorious Burden. Then again, I haven't heard all that much Iced Earth. But
0: And I don't plan to in the future. But, uh, <laughs> Let's not go down a rabbit
1: hole there. We're gonna, we're gonna, no, we're we're keeping this apolitical. We're not getting into it. But (laughs) the point is, is that I know of Tim Owens as a vocalist, and he has incredibly dynamic range and ability. It's not very well explored on
0: this song. No, it's not, is it? He stays in the same key for pretty much the whole time. Mm. He gets. A good scream or two, that's about it for yeah, him in this song. And he doesn't really have any
1: good lyrics to sing either, you know.
0: Yeah, this not is... not to his fault. Yeah. Like we said, he was not even allowed no, to write any songs he's, as Priest. He's not the lyricist of Priest. He was the vocalist. Right. And, you know, when you get someone writing lyrics who isn't the actual vocalist, it's usually going to sound pretty awkward because the guitar player is not writing lyrics with the intention in mind for it to flow off the tongue because, hey, it's not his problem yeah. if it doesn't sound good. That's yeah. someone else's problem.
1: Right <laughs> yeah, well, take it from me. I mean, I'm a guitarist. I'm a terrible lyricist.
0: On that note, look at a band like Iron Maiden and... You know that their songwriting credits are by all different members of the band. And the songs that Bruce Dickinson writes, they always have better lyrics. Steve Harris's songs, his lyrics are very wordy and they don't seem to flow off the tongue. And they don't always have a rhyme or a reason behind them. Like a song like Hallowed Be Thy Name. Then when you see that your time is closer, maybe then you'll start to the Like, amazing masterpiece of a song, but those lyrics don't flow as well as other songs. There's one
1: particular part in this song where that really sticks out, and it is the bridge right before the final verse where Tim is just rattling off lyrics and there's no proper rhythm or syntax to any of it it sounds
0: so forced Let's, let's play a clip of that little faux rapping there Uh, as if there wasn't enough new metal influence in uh, this song but then again dude
1: tim lets off that fucking scream and it's like god damn this is what i came here to hear
0: right let's have a little more of that just pull just give us painkiller part two we would have been okay with that i mean what's the alternative dude is this is
1: the alternative i'll take painkiller two please i'll take pain this is pain giver stop (laughs) Oh (laughs) Uh, I'm having
0: a little too much fun with this one Tom it's very telling that the live version of this song is a full minute and a half short (laughs) it's true Live in London released 2003 a full show from the Demolition Tour live CD live DVD Overall, it's a good live album. Mm. Uh, listen, to, listen to that version. You, and if you take out the intro where Tim talks to the crowd and then the crowd cheers at the end, uh, it's a live version. You know how it is. Mm. The band is only actually playing the song one-on-one for five minutes and ten seconds. Compare that to the studio track on Demolition, which is 6 minutes 45. It's just, Holy unne- shit. it's so unnecessary. And you know, you know the tragic part about that live version? It's still way too long.
1: <laughs> this song really didn't even have to be a full minute. <laughs> this could have been an interlude or something. Oh man, this is another really interesting period in Priest's history.
0: Yes, it is. And Priest is a real experimenter of a band. You can't deny that. So they won't always get it right, and we're not going to pretend that they did. Yeah.
1: So here's the thing that I find really interesting is that the members, the people who make up a band, influence the way the band plays and the way they write, whether or not they actually contribute to the songwriting process. So what I mean by that is a person brings their energy and personality into the band and you feed off of that when you work with each other. You can very much tell that with Halford out of the mix, the equilibrium is off because they, I I get the sense that they didn't really know how to properly incorporate Owens into their song when they were writing the music. He's phenomenal when he's singing the stuff that Halford was writing on. But when they're writing with him, it's like they're not really priest. It's like, yeah, sure, they're playing, and the word, it's like. Diet priest. Yeah, this is diet priest. It's like, sure, like the members of priest are playing, but it's not priest. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I wouldn't call this Judas Priest other than that they're the, it's the name of the band that recorded this song.
0: Isn't it just as telling that Priest has never played a single Tim Owen song live with Halford and the band? He said mm-hmm. he's not opposed to it, but who would really want to hear it as a fan? Well, that's the thing. It's like, what do either off of Demolition or
1: Jugulator, what do these songs offer the listener?
0: I've heard people make the case online that if Jugulator and Demolition were released by a band under another name, they would be considered classics, that huh. these are objectively good albums. I'm sorry, I'm not 100% sure I can get behind that and agree with you. What do you like about this song? What about this song would make you want to hear it as opposed to the 100-plus amazing songs the band recorded with Halfords?
1: I got to make a confession here is that I'm actually, I kind of really love Jugulator because <laughs> there's some pretty heavy riffs going on in there. It's just like, there's a lot of cheese and cringe inducing shit that just makes me like sink all the way
0: down into my chair. But <laughs> you know why the riffs, riffs oh, go on. No, I was going to say
1: some of the riffs are bangers.
0: You know why the riffs on Jugulator are so great? Why? Because all of them are from Patera albums. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, well, that will definitely do it. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, I, I I make fun, but Jugulator, not too bad. There's some good stuff on I there. Mean, it is Ju-
1: called it is called Jugulator. <laughs> <laughs> pretty but, uh,
0: Jugulator, not too bad. Pretty decent. There's some good songs. Mm. Demolition. I I don't think I can say the same. I do
1: want to say though that I actually read an interview with Owens where he feels like his 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 era of the band has pretty much been erased at this point. And that's kind of sad. That's not wrong. It's not, but I also have to consider this guy's perspective. He started out as the vocalist in a priest cover band and yes, then got to play with the real band. That's a dream come true. Yeah. How stoked do you think that guy probably was?
0: He gave it his all. And if these songs are not going to be remembered as part of priest history, it will not be his fault whatsoever.
1: No, not at all. And that's the thing. It's like, he was literally, it's like, don't shoot the messenger, dude. He was just the guy delivering the lyrics. He didn't write any of this.
0: Right. And I've heard someone on the Talking Maiden podcast make this exact comparison. If you're a sports fan at all, you know you've got your starting lineup and you've got your bench or your backup players And you need those bench players because at some point during the season, one of your stars is going to get hurt and you need your backup players to come in and get you over the hump. And Tim Owens, he did a great job of that. The band was still killing it live. If you're going to listen to the Tim Owens era, I would highly recommend that you seek out the two live albums he did with the band. Yeah. Especially because, like I said, (laughs) that version of one-on-one is a minute and a half shorter.
1: (laughs) A minute and a half more merciful. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, actually, his rendition of Metal Gods is probably, it's one of my favorite live versions of that song. I think that this band has always had a, a talent for seeking out talent. Yeah. And Owens is no exception to that rule. And, you know, in some ways, I actually think he's almost a, in some ways, almost a better vocalist than Rob Halford. You're comparing apples to oranges because Halford is legendary and also amazing. But there are some areas
0: where Owens can do things where he can't. Owens can hit those high notes with more regularity. And he can sustain them more.
1: aside though you know uh, Halford and um owens are actually friends in real life which that's I, true i love
0: that yeah me too isn't, that's that pheno- wholesome.
1: isn't that phenomenal like yes. i love that you know there's not always like animosity it's like oh hey that's my buddy you know it's kind of like um like rob dukes and um, and steve zuza thank you that was his name oh yeah
0: um, sure they're like buddies i saw them on a podcast together i'm like oh look at them getting along blaze bailey is still friends with iron maiden even in his newest album that came out this year (laughs) he credits several iron maiden band members including bruce dickinson Mm. in the thank you section that's great you know personally i wouldn't even
1: be opposed to owen's like coming back for a tour with priest at some point Actually, I think that would be really cool. I like him. I love him as a vocalist. The dude is, he's he's like a powerhouse.
0: Dual vocalist tours Mm. with like an ensemble cast. I think that's something bands should experiment with. Yeah, I saw this band, Avantasia, a couple of years ago. A really incredible progressive power metal band. And they tour with... A rotating cast of like 15 people they have guest vocalists and guest musicians and not everyone plays on every song live on stage but it's an ensemble cast and it's really fun because you get a very diverse experience being in the crowd for that
1: yeah who says your lineup has to be static you know There really aren't. I mean, nothing is really set in stone. There's no reason you couldn't do that. Why not have two vocalists? Three
0: Inches of Blood had two vocalists. Sure. Why not do that and play a longer set? Because a 70-year-old man like Halford might get tired playing for two hours, get a second... Backup vocalist like Owen's there to take over a few of the songs, and you can give the crowd an extended concert that's really a night to remember, dude.
1: I love that more. It's more priest, like,
0: sure, and you're not happy with that. Hell yeah, yeah. So, Tom, I guess to wrap things up, do you have anything positive to say about One on One? Hmm.
1: The positive thing I have to say about it is that. It did get Owens noticed as a musician, and he's got a lot of merit because of that. That really propelled his career. Dude could have kept, I don't mean to keep like kissing his ass, but he could have kept going as just like, oh, that dude who plays in that cover band that plays down at, you know, Roy's Oyster Bar sometimes. And instead now he's, you know, he's got a pretty decent career under his belt as a metal vocalist.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you in saying that Owen's tenure with Judas Priest as a whole was a positive for him. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything positive to say specifically about one-on-one?
1: No. <laughs> 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 I mean, listen, the point I always bring up in every song is that it's not lacking. No matter what pre song you're, you're listening to, it's never lacking for good solos. And the solos on in one-on-one are still fucking great. So.
0: Dude, I was listening to one-on-one for maybe the 20th time in preparation for this episode, and I was shocked to discover that the song does, in fact, have a guitar (laughs) solo. I didn't believe you at first until I went back and listened to it, and I was like, oh, shit, there they are. Do you ever hear a song, and when it ends, you have zero memory of what you just heard? The solo gets lost in how dull the rest of the song is. I know. Because just a couple minutes in, you're already zoned out. Well, that's exactly it. It's like the song has already lost
1: your attention. So, so like play the solos
0: though, if you would. I will. KK first, and now Glenn. So, first of all, I can barely recognize the difference between the KK and Glenn solos there. They, they sound don't, almost identical. They don't do a great job of differentiating themselves from each other yeah. in that song. And secondly... That's not one of the solos that I think I'm gonna remember most no. fondly about the band. You know They're
1: technically but, impressive and artistically
0: uninspired. It's pretty telling that it took me twenty lessons <laughs> to even hear that there was a guitar solo. But <laughs> hey let it, alone that there you, were two of them. They're not bad.
1: No, they're not. I mean, listen, I still think, listen, KK and um, Glenn are better guitarists than I'll ever fucking be. But, you know, again, technically very impressive solos. But just like the song, it's not something you're going to remember.
0: Tom, I have something positive to say about one-on-one. That ends? (laughs) You know... You. They say that you have to go to the gym and really work your hardest and push your limits if you want to get stronger. True. My experience listening to this song is kind of similar. I've increased my tolerance for pain. <laughs> I've increased my threshold for boredom. I've certainly gained more patience. So maybe I've become a slightly better person because of this song. It's like... But that, of course... That only happened because the song is fucking terrible.
1: <laughs> it's like, dude, it's like going through conditioning in martial arts. You're <laughs> just a stronger person now, but you still had to go through all that pain. Like,
0: Tom, is this the worst Judas Priest song?
1: <sighs> I don't know. I haven't heard all of them, so it's hard to tell. Maybe. Maybe. It's a strong contender at present.
0: Is it the worst Judas Priest song you've heard? Oh, hell yeah.
1: As far as from Priest songs yeah. I've actually heard,
0: yes. I think this might be the worst Priest song. And if it's not this, it's something else from Demolition. Oh, God, I, what
1: could be worse than this?
0: I would sooner put a drill inside my own ear and set it to maximum power <laughs> than put in earbuds and listen to Demolition from front to back.
1: We need one more shot to send this. Oh, oh God. Oh, God, we're, we're going to... If we're going to die, we're going to die laughing. (laughs) We're going to die with good tequila. If anyone's Uh. interested... This is Casamigos Tequila, which is um, one of my fiancé's favorites. So
0: It's a good choice. I need a good stiff drink like this yeah. if we're going to make it through this it, song. You know
1: what they say? takes another drink or seven. Cheers, <laughs> George. <laughs> <laughs> sure,
0: <sure>. Tom, cheers. <laughs> we can't say any more about this song. I
1: can't. I'm going to die.
0: All right. Oh. Guys, MetalGodsPodcast at gmail.com let us know what you think about one-on-one and demolition
1: or don't just don't make me think about it anymore <laughs> with all that being said dear listeners until next time stay locked in <sighs> yeah guys <sighs> stay locked in keep defending the faith i guess i gotta go to sleep